Hi, friends. Welcome to the third episode of Season 2 of the Lessons from Dead Guys podcast. Thank you for listening in. Uh, This episode is on someone who's actually very dear to my heart. I think I say that every single episode, but this this person, Dorothy Day, is a woman, or one of the many women, I would say, that has really radically influenced my theology and my politics, and despite what some people think, I don't necessarily believe those are separable concepts, but... So Dorothy Day uh, is what we're going to be talking about, and it's, I'm really going to be talking about a particular article she wrote called "Love and Justice," and it was in it was written in uh, the Catholic Worker, which was a newspaper um, that she was the editor of and starter of, um, which was birthed out of the Catholic Catholic Worker movement that she also helped found. So Dorothy Day, she she grew up Protestant, and her parents were married married in an Episcopal church. She's she lived a bohemian lifestyle, you know, the typical hippie-esque kind of thing happening. Um, all that good stuff, bohemian stuff. And uh, someone actually refers to her as the original hippie. I, I can't remember the lady's name, but that's something she always kind of took pride in. But So she lived this bohemian life, and, and then she had a radical conversion, uh, and she joined the Catholic Church, which was, you know, kind of a big deal coming from Protestant back into Catholicism then, at least. She was considered a, a, a political radical, <laughs> um, and she she's known for her activism and just a lot of her political thoughts and her approach to theology being in direct involvement um, in a lot of ways confrontation with the American government and the governments of the world and and capitalism and um, just the typical structures that are still prevalent in our society. She was very vocal against those things. Um, she was what we would call an uh, anarcho-pacifist, so she really leaned hard towards the anarchist side of things, but she was also believed that pacifism or nonviolent resistance was a fundamental part of Christianity and what it meant to be Christian and follow Jesus adequately. She was one of... Um, she. She was very vocal about the Catholic Church kind of reinstating that as a an absolute. Um, so she was very big in, in nonviolent direct action on the behalf of the poor and the homeless. And so she spent most of her life really living in poverty, advocating for those in poverty. Uh, she was arrested numerous, numerous times. I think the last time she was arrested, she was 75. Uh, so she... she she did this thing on and on and on um, for years and years and years, you know, this this political activism and theological activism. And she, I think she believed and as far as I can tell, has been influenced in the sense that those things can't be separated from the gospel. But like I said earlier, in the 1930s, they worked uh, closely with a fellow activist named Peter Marin, who, and they established the Catholic Worker Movement, which was a pacifist movement. That combined direct action and aid for the poor and the homeless with the nonviolent pacifism that they they held theologically as you know undeniable fundamental truth of Christianity. Uh, so, like I said, she practiced a lot of civil disobedience, which led to several arrests throughout her whole life, and that last time being arrested when she was seventy five. Uh, and she she started the Catholic Worker newspaper, like I said earlier, and that's where she you. Just hundreds and hundreds of articles you can uh, you can find from her that are still online today on the Catholic Worker website that are that are archived free to access. She's got several books. She she has an autobiography called The Long Loneliness. I believe that's what it's called. I haven't read it yet. 
she advocated for a economic theory called distribute. Uh, distributism, which she considered kind of a third way between capitalism and socialism. Um, and like I said, her writings led her not to be a very popular person, but she backed up, you know, she she put her money where her mouth was because everything she believed, she lived it. Everything that she advocated for, she was in the trenches, dirt under her fingernails doing it. This wasn't somebody just, you know, speculating about pl- uh, economic theories and, and politics and how the world should be run. This is someone who believed a certain way and was down in the muck of it all, living it and not only preaching it, but embodying it in, in every way. So like I said, she's just been super influential, super influential on me because she's just, she's got some of those thoughts that just really rattle you. And I guess as especially in the last couple of years, as I've began to move, um, into the teachings of the church fathers, some of her stuff about nonviolence and uh, the state and dealing with governments and nations and things like that have really all kind of conspired together to bring me kind of to my current place in beliefs of theology and politics and, and where those places intersect. I think in 1983 there was a uh, a thing uh, I can't remember what they're called, <laughs> but um, basically a request for canonization of Dorothy Day, which means a request for her to be made a saint in the Catholic Church. It's not happened yet, but um, Pope Benedict, the, the the Pope that's here now, and when he gave his address in America here, I think last year, Dorothy Day is one of the people that he cited because she's. She's on up there with Brennan Manning in my book. And I said, Brennan Manning, if there was ever someone who deserved to be a saint, it was Brennan Manning. And, well, I think Dorothy Day's right there with him. Like I said, we're going to be talking about love and justice because we, we've kind of been on this theme of, of love in the last few episodes, or I guess really the whole season. But it's um, it's been one of those it's been one of those things, I think, that I just— I'm in right now, and I'm needing to grow more in and things like that, and understanding to be able to love myself and love neighbor adequately, and and those things being really conditional for me being able to love God the way I say I love God, and it not being some just mental assent or some belief or some statement, but something that I embody that I that I live out this love in my life. So that's kind of the reason we've been on this theme, I guess, in season two, and it doesn't really feel like we're coming away from that. But Dorothy Day, Love and Justice, was published in the Catholic Worker on July in July the July to August um, in nineteen fifty two. So this is she's talks she talks about a lot of stuff in it, but there's just a few excerpts I really just want to focus in on. Um, one one part right here is where it's early in the beginning. She's she's talking just about some injustice and that's going on in the world and things people struggling and uh, things in that nature across the world. And she says that friends write to remind us, thinking we forget that that but one thing is necessary: love and seek ye first the kingdom of of heaven. So it, it seems like maybe they were having some critiques, I guess, and some people were writing her, reminding her, "You just need to love." And she goes on, and it, it spurs this strain, uh, this train of thought with her. And she says, "All action springs from love." That that was what Dante said. Our God is a consuming fire. Saint Paul said. 
One is driven, when one loves, to ways of expressing that love, to the physical expressions of love, to a desire for union with others, and this love may find its expression in picket lines, in articles and speeches crying out against injustice, destitution, and violence. It is a work of mercy to rebuke the sinner, to comfort the afflicted, to enlighten the ignorant. We must choose what it means, what, what means we can, and they must be pure means. So she's basically, she goes on, she says, love that's not action isn't love. And that this love, it, if it's inseparable from this crying out against injustice and crying out against violence and destitution and things like that. And she goes on and says, St. Paul wrote, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? But if any man violates the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which you are. What reverence must we have for our brothers, for the bodies of our brothers, and what consuming care should we have that they receive what is needful, that they not be exploited? As for ourselves, yes, we must be meek, bear injustice, malice, rash judgment. We must turn the other cheek, give our bar cloak, go the second mile. So she she turns and she, she takes Paul and she talks about you know the body being the temple and she says that's really the case then how can we let the people that we see in this world whose bodies are being exploited whose lives are in destitution who who are suffering injustice how can we let these people in these temples be destroyed day in and day out and say we have love and, and live in love and her point is that we can't. And she goes on and she says, but as Christians, you know, we, we have to be meek. We have to bear injustice. We have to bear malice and rash and judgment. And we have to turn the other cheek and, and you know, give up our second – or go the second mile and give up our cloak. And in other places, um, Dorothy Day, she, she recites the church fathers. And one of the things the church fathers said, if you have two cloaks, then you need to get rid of one because someone else needs it. And so she kind of lived by this theory radically by that mindset. But – here she is. She's challenging us. She's challenging us, and it, it just it really set home, you know, hit home with me because there's so much. Even though I think I don't have much, there's so I have so much more than so many people. And just because I live in America and, and own two cars, I'm like in the top like seven percent of the richest people in the world. So we can't take these kind of things lightly. It's easy to get comfortable and and really disregard the injustice that happens in the in the world and even in our own streets. And I, that's really the case right now, I believe, for America because right now the church is having to come back again to face something which is a racial a system of racial and systemic injustice. And you have multitudes in the church who are wanting to say that that's not true, that it just needs to be over, the civil rights movement's over, everyone's equal, and and really, it's the wrong response, and it's not the Christ-like response at all, because Christ is there in the middle of those suffering injustice. So how can we deny him? Denying them is denying Christ. So she goes on, and she talks about how a, a communist pa- pamphlet had recently published that religion has not ceased to be a harmful and reactionary ideology since it attempts to inculcate contemptuous attitudes towards all that is earthly and by token distracts from the building of communism. The preaching of the life beyond the grave and the summons to to take thought only for the saving of one's soul are radically hostile to Soviet concepts. Faith in life beyond the grave violates the believer and develops in him a feeling of extreme individualism and paralyzes his will in the struggle of communism. Now, I hate to say it, but I agree 
with this communist pamphlet that Dorothy Day is uh, citing. Now, I would replace communism with just life in general because this understanding. Now, religion, not bad at all, despite what anyone says. I don't understand the whole pitting Jesus against religion, religion against Jesus thing. Christianity is religion. If it had wouldn't been for if it hadn't been for a religion developing around the teachings of Jesus, we would not have the teachings of Jesus today. Not getting on that soapbox right now, but this pamphlet is basically saying that this idea that this focus merely on the life after death creates an individualism that makes it where the people are not focused on the people around them. They're not focused on the world. And we see that same theology now, um, not to, uh, not to point it out to, um, Clearly, but, you know, this idea of left behind and this rapture theology, and it, it does a disservice because it, it creates in us a desire for something beyond. It, this idea, this it's, it's what we would call Platonism, and it's where we think of heaven as some far-off thing, like God's going to carry us to some sky kingdom, and that's not the gospel and never has been. And we're not going to get into that in this episode particularly because I'm going to save that for an episode on another saint, uh, on a saint that I just adore named Saint Maximus, the Confessor. And it's going to be about theosis and eschatology and all that good end times stuff. But as far as this pamphlet is concerned, it's saying that religion uh, that is focused on the afterlife tends to violate the life now. It tends to violate the individual and the people around them because it, it paralyzes them from helping society move forward. And Dorothy Day goes on and she says, We are afraid this is often true in the struggle for social and racial justice. Like the old song, You'll get the pie in the sky when you die, is too often the comfort of the Christian. We hug to ourselves. After all, God will make it up to them. He will throw down the mighty from their seats, and the rich he will send, em- send empty away. He will fill the hungry with good things. But... That may be true. That may be what the psalm says. But we and we still do nothing or do little and leave the rest up to God. So she's going on, and then she she goes on and she says in the last, uh, or not the last part, but she says, but this is this crisis is urgent, and the holy fathers cry out to rouse Christians from their lethargy. There and they're they're stirring calls, and she goes on to cite uh, pastors from Australia and France and all these places. And she's saying the Holy Fathers, the saints of old, the Spirit of God is urging the church to begin to take this seriously and understand that yes, the we we understand that God is provider and all these things, and He's got these great plans, and that you know when it's all said and done, love wins and all of that. But that does nothing. We, we, we want to put all the responsibility on God, and I, that comes from both sides, I think, of the, the tracks. You have Christians that want to put all the responsibility on God, and you have people that just can't believe in God because he doesn't do anything. But Day's getting at something here is that there's an urgent crisis to return back. And she says the Holy Father says you return back to kind of an understanding that the church fathers had and the people that have laid the foundational work of what true Christianity looks like. She goes on, she says, We know that we can do little, but we must resolve to do all, to give ourselves completely without reserve, to offer ourselves to be willing to lay down our lives for our brothers. We must pray to want to. We must pray to become men of desires, and those desires will overflow into action. It is not a count, it is not the counsel of perfection, this call to love. 
a new precept I give unto you to the laying down of one's life for his friends. This was a physical fact in Christ's life and should be a physical fact in our own. If we are afraid, we must pray not to be afraid to be fools for Christ. Love includes justice. And so that kind of, that whole thing, just that's the sum up, just the whole article there from the Catholic Worker on Love and Justice. So her whole point is that we can't separate them, that love includes justice. And Jesus, even in the Beatitudes, he says, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled, right? But that word righteousness, we tend to make it hyper-individualistic and about our personal moralism, but really what Jesus is talking about is the word there better translates justice. He says, those that hunger and thirst for justice shall be filled. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, man is going to fall from the sky. But because the Beatitudes are in the Sermon on the Mount is about shaping the church and teaching teaching those that have come into faith in Christ how to live and what it means to live in the world and what it means to love our neighbor. So in some sense, justice comes through us because we love our neighbor and, and so love God. So, And I love this quote that uh, it's not in this section of, of writing from Dorothy Day, but she says, I only love God as much as the person I love the least. And that one line just like kicked me right in my teeth because there's a lot of people that I would think that I don't really love. In, in the sense of what it means. Because we say, oh, I love that person, but I don't want to be around them. That's not love. <laughs> or I love that person, but I don't, you know, I just want to, I never want to see them again, or I don't want to do this, or whatever. But love is action. They're, they're, that's inseparable. This idea that you can love something without giving to it, or pouring into it, or or being moved by it is just ridiculous. You can't. Love demands action, and that's what I think Dorothy Day is trying to get here, and it's the way she modeled her whole life, is that to say that you love people means that you love them in word and in deed and in thought. Dorothy Day, she, she, like I said, she lived a life of, of poverty. She was arrested. She, she picketed. She protested because that's what love looks like. And right now we're having protests happen in this country, and guess what? People are critiquing them, but protest is worship. Protest is just as much as worship is coming into a service on a Sunday and raising your hands and singing the songs and reciting the creeds or whatever. It's worship. Protest is worship and is necessary. It is necessary for the church to embody the physical action of love in standing up for those who are oppressed, who are suffering injustice, who are living lives of destitution, and stop saying, well, they just need to get jobs, or they just need to get off drugs, or they just don't need to get pregnant, or, or whatever it is. We can take all those social critiques and we can throw them out the window because they're not doing any good, and it's not love. It's not what Jesus would do end of story it's not jesus embodied love and he went right into the muck and he got his hands dirty he got he got filth under his fingernails and he loved extravagant extravagantly because the meaning the ideas of worthiness or unworthiness were of no regard and he knew that that's the way the kingdom comes and that's what he shows us the kingdom comes by way 
of active, cruciform love in the world by giving our lives, by giving our cloaks, by turning the other cheek, by standing up for the poor, by lifting up the lame and the broken and those that have been beaten down in our society, in socioeconomic senses, in physical senses, uh, to those that are in all of these kind of environments. Those of us that aren't, that claim to be Christ, we're called to to bear injustice. We're called to bear gossip and judgment against us and slander and not fight for our right or fight fight to look, look good, but to fight for those who are broken and beaten and oppressed. And like like Day says, is that love is injust is injustice. There there it includes justice. It can't be separated. It can't. And I hear a lot of talk from a lot of people about, you know, well, social justice, social justice, gospel, social justice, this and that. And it, they make it out like it's separate from the gospel, but it's not. And it, it's not just one branch of the gospel. It is intertwined completely with the gospel. To preach the gospel means to preach the good news that the oppressed are free that the broken can be made whole, that those who are under the power and oppression of injustice, whether whether that be socioeconomic or racial, political, or whatever, they are free, and there's life, and that we can see something happen beyond that. And that that's, that's why it makes the gospel such good news. But unfortunately, sometimes the gospel is not good news for us because it, for us that are in states of privilege, for us that are in states of where we're higher up, where we're the rich man in, in the parable and not the beggar at the door, it, it becomes not good news to us because it means that we are challenged to change the way we live and the way we speak and the way we see people. And if we would begin to take a step back and understand that we're loved and they are loved and that the worthiness is not in the picture, we would stop telling people they need to do better and pull themselves up by their bootstraps because we would actually have uh, enough. We would stop talking and being critical long enough to see that they don't even have boots to begin with. And I think that's what I think that's what Dorothy Day is trying to get at in this article, and I think it was embodied in her whole life. Is that the church is called to be the church. That means we're called to look like Jesus. We're called to follow Jesus. And that means getting down in the muck and grime of everyday life and the struggles and saying no more. It means feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the prisoner, fighting for just sentences, fighting against things like the death penalty and abortion and all these things. But it doesn't mean we go and we picket Planned Parenthood. It means we target the very root issues of poverty and systemic injustice. Because you can close down every Planned Parenthood in the country, but it's not going to stop abortions because people are still going to be in those situations that force them into those situations to make those kind of decisions that we're against. If we would stop trying to worry about morality and start worrying about changing the condition of people's lives, then we could see true growth. And I know I'm like probably just pissed so many people off, but why I'm at it, you know, if you can't say Black Lives Matter without 
saying all lives matter is a conditional understatement or overshadowing, you need to check. You need to step back, and you need to listen to our black brothers and sisters who are telling us what it's like to be them. Because right now, and it's ridiculous, but the most radical thing a person in privilege or a person, a white person in our country can do is just actually listen and believe uh, our black brothers and sisters when they tell us what it's like to be them or anyone else that's being oppressed. Because we want to just... We want to write people off, say they need to work harder, they need to do this, they need to do this, 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 and this. And we give all these things that they should be doing, and they need to fix themselves, but that, that's not Jesus. That's not how he did things, and that's not how we're called to do things. End of story. I can't say I embody this, that I'm preaching the way I need to. I can't, and that's why it's challenging to me, because I'm sitting in a place of privilege, and there's people in my own city, in Huntsville, Alabama, dying without hope, because they, they don't hear any good news. And so many times, uh, it's easy to be negligent, the least of these. We, we can come to church, and we can have our nice buildings, and our, have our nice services and equipment, and all these things. But when it comes down to everything, if we say we love God, it's going to be reflected in how we love our neighbor. And our neighbor is not the person necessarily the person just in the pew next to us. It's the person that really, really gets under our skin. It's the person that we're we're even leery to touch because they haven't had a shower in weeks. It's the person who we grew up our whole lives telling we're uh, are inherently other and different and dirty and broken and of ill regard. That's what it means to truly love. And if, when, if we can truly grasp a hold of how we're loved by God, then we'll truly be able to grasp a hold of what it means to love the way God loves and see people the way he sees us and he sees them. And we can trade our vision for his and we can trade our voice for his and we can trade our hearts for his. And that's the goal of it all. Because love that doesn't move to action isn't love. It's not. It's, it's a nice word. It's a, it's a nice thought to tell someone you love them, but if it doesn't move us to action, then it's, it's not love. It's a lie. It's, it's half. It's not even half true. It's not true at all. Anyways, like I said, Dorothy Day, um, wildly, completely, politically radical, Jesus-loving Catholic woman who just, just... Man, I feel like she could just take on hell with a water gun, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Not that necessarily my theology supports that kind of understanding, but you get the picture of what I'm saying. Um, man, she did so much good in the world, and she fought, and she was such an adamant voice for those that they didn't have a way to speak. and She, lit, she embodied the love of Christ, truly embodied it. And that's why she's become so influential to me because she's, she's challenged me to put my money where my mouth is. She's challenged me to remember that love of neighbor and love of God are inseparable. And if I'm not loving my neighbor, then I'm really not loving God. Again, Dorothy Day, fantastic. Uh, in the show or in the links, kind of on the, you know, a little about me about this episode, there'll be a link to the Catholic Worker website and a link specifically to this article. I encourage you to go there. You could spend like the next 
you know, 20 years reading her stuff and it'd be just great. I haven't even made a dent in it and it's been so radically life altering for me already. So, um, if you would share the episode, share with your friends, tell people, um, if you don't know this, but my podcast is, is actually rated number one in the world by my mom because she listens to every episode probably four or five times. And I think that's where the majority of my episode listens come from. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> but I would like other people to hear it as well. So if you want to share it with your friends and share it with the people you know, people you think it might bless them or people you might think it might piss them off, go ahead. Send it to them. <laughs> uh, the more the merrier, whether it be, you know, so. Anyways, and you can also pre-order the Advent devotional, Advent for the rest of us. I'll have the link for that in the show notes as well. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be moved to action by the love that we say we hold in our hearts and understand that justice includes love and love includes justice and that there's no way around it, that true love would move us to action.